Take with me your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. This is the second in really a two-part message on these five verses here in 1 John 5. They each can stand alone, but we wanted to take two weeks to really go deep into this passage and see uh, God's love for us and see what our love for God should look like. We have a real difficulty in this culture today to understand this concept of love and what it actually means and what it looks like and whether it's more than just a feeling or an emotion. And we noticed how we could we can look at this passage and really see the pinnacle the culmination of all of John's teaching on love, which he spent almost two and a half chapters doing, simply because he begins to really show how God's love, our love for God, is going to really define our love for others. And we noted how you could go and talk to someone and ask them, what is their definition of love? And you'd probably get many, many different answers. Last week we looked at how our love for God and God, how looked at our love for God and God's love for us and this week we will look at how our love for God defines and impacts our love for others. We stated last week that John's aim in these five verses is to declare to the believer that the God of love provides for you by his grace the motivation and means to love him and love others. If that's the aim for five verses and we're going to go this morning to really the first two verses in this passage and really focus in on them, I think we could say that our theme, our aim this morning is to realize that real love is modeled by Christ and defined by God in Holy Scripture. Let me say that again. Real love is modeled by Christ and defined by God in Holy Scripture. Look with me at the first two verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again and ask for His grace. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to study once again this passage. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would drive home the truth that is here within our hearts. I ask, Father, that you would use me, but, Father, that that this passage would not only help us understand, but help us model well to this world that desperately needs you what true biblical love looks like. What it looks like, Father, between in, in a marriage, what it looks like uh, in a home, what it looks like between the believer and the unbeliever. Help us, Father, to understand how your love for us defines, constrains, and defines, Lord, our love for others. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. To help us uh, get the, con- the, the message of this passage, I'm going to go after four points. We have the gift of love that we'll look at in verse 1. And then in, also in verse 1, we're going to see the group of love. And then in verse 2, we'll look at the guard and goal of love. 
The gift of love, the group of love, and then the guard and goal of love. First of all, the gift of love. Well, we looked at this a little bit last week, but we will say it again. You see that there in verse 1. Everyone believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And we noted, and we would note again, that your love for God is a gift given to you. We know in salvation there's nothing that we can do to earn this free gift. But it is not a, a, a free gift in that it was not purchased by someone. And that gift was purchased by God through the, the surpassing, the all-surpassing worth of Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we go to begin to love others, we have to realize that if we have any love at all for others... It's not something that we can conjure up within ourselves. It might feel like love, but true biblical love, as modeled by Christ and defined by God in Holy Scripture, is only going to come through that gift of salvation. It's not something that we can bring about in our own right. It's something that that is given to us. It's given to us by the work of Christ alone. But look at that, look at, look at the, the text there. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So by this passage we can say that if we do not love others, we cannot say we love Jesus. But on the flip side of that, if we say that we love Jesus, we must love others. This is another one of the assurances here in 1 John that we can know that we are in the faith. We cannot say we love others if we do not love Jesus, but also love for others must be in place if we do say we love Jesus. And there are many that will say, yeah, I love Jesus. I love him so much. But then watch how they interact with others. Or others would say, "I, I don't love Jesus. I don't even think he's real. But they say they love others. That cannot be according to this passage. And as as Christians, we would be well warned to realize that we cannot allow one statement of faith to be the mark of knowing God to the detriment of not obeying the word of God and Christ's commands. So if someone says, yeah, I love Jesus, if we really truly love them biblically, We won't let that statement alone be the mark of their faith. But we'll also look at their actions. We'll also look, do they love others? Do they obey the word of God and Christ's commands? Real love is modeled by Christ and defined by God in Holy Scripture. It's a gift. Love is a gift. Let's go to the group the group of love. Look at verse 1 again. Has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. John is not writing to everyone. He's writing to the church at Ephesus and saying, you're going to love those that are born of God. You're going to love other believers. Well, what about the teaching of Scripture of love your neighbor as yourself? Love your enemies. That's true as well. But it's it's very clear in Scripture that those who have been born of God are going to have a special attraction to the body of Christ and it's going to be um, 
closer, warmer, different. Think of your family. You have brothers, you have sisters, you have parents, you have children, and you have a, a, a love for them. That love looks and even feels different than the love you may have for the cousins, the grandparents. That love, is you still love them, it just looks different. And you may have a love for your friends, but even that looks different than the love for your actual family. That's what we're talking about here. That's what John is saying. That's a mark of salvation is your attraction to the body of Christ has got to be there, one. And number two, it's going to be different and, and greater even than the love that you have for others outside of the body. Because we're talking about a body-to-body love. We're talking about a believer-to-believer love. But notice, loves whoever has been born of him. And I think, I think John really drives at the heart of matter going that your relationship with another believer is based upon the fact that you're born new as a new believer in Christ. It's not based upon, as we like to slip into, it's not based upon the work of Christ and the outward trappings. Do they have the same theological bent I do? Do they have their kids homeschooled or their kids in public school or their kids in Christian school? Do they have the same economic status that I have? Do they enjoy some of the same things that I enjoy? And we quickly define our relationship with the body of Christ less on Christ and more on do they fit into my nice little niche over here that I've created, my own little bubble world. We've got to be very careful because that, that displays to the world that it's Christ and rather than Christ alone. And that doesn't mean that you aren't going to have a, uh, a closer camaraderie or friendship or relationship with someone that does have the same line of thinking that you do. But that cannot be the only defining term of the relationship. You should be able to go to anyone who claims the name of Christ and is obeying the word of God as defined according to Holy, in Holy Scripture and be able to have a very close, intimate relationship with them, irregardless of whether or not they have all those other trappings. Because all those other trappings are really an extremely small percentage as compared to the relationship that you have with them because of the work of Christ for you. So the group of love here really is the, the body of Christ that should have a much a higher attraction. We cannot communicate that personal convictions are a standard of our relationship with the body rather than Christ. We cannot communicate that standards or therapy or meditation or healthy eating or medication or outward behavior or any other things can overcome the sin nature within us if we do not have Christ. We've got to be very careful that we really, as believers who are seeking to model biblical love, understand the group that we're loving. Am I loving the body of Christ here, or is this an unbeliever? Because if it's an unbeliever, it's going to be marked much differently. And we can't go to them and say, and, and, and love them in the same way that we would love the body of Christ. They have no understanding of a lot of these things. 
Whereas you would go over to the body of Christ and you would encourage them in the commands of God. And you would encourage them to follow Holy Scripture. You can't do that with the unbeliever over here because their eyes have not been opened to the truth. So you, yes, you use the commands, you use the Scriptures, but you point them to Christ. Only through Christ can you walk in a way that is worthy of God. Only in a way that is glorifying to God. So we've got to be very careful to know who am I loving here? Is this an enemy? Is this a neighbor? Is this the body of Christ? Is this an unbeliever? And as a church in Fredericksburg seeking to reach into Fredericksburg and minister to the lost and minister to those that need Christ, as they would come to our church, we very much need to be wary of understanding where they're at. Because if we go in too hastily trying to minister them in one way without first developing a relationship to understand where they're at. Are they even in the Lord? Do they claim to be in the Lord and yet they're not? According to some of the tests that we've seen in 1 John, that needs to cloud, that needs to color, that needs to flavor the way that we would minister to them and love on them. We've got to be very careful to, to understand who are we ministering to? What group are we ministering to? John is speaking to the body of Christ. To be loving to the body of Christ in the context of loving God and obeying his commands requires that you have more than a casual relationship marked by discussion of politics, sports, and the family social calendar. But instead that you see that the other brother or sister in Christ are just that, a brother or sister, a family member, and not a distant family member, one that is closer to you than a blood brother. To really love the body of Christ in a way that, define, that is defined biblically, meaning following God, you have to have a close relationship. You can't just come to church and sit down and say, hey, how you doing? And you get well, I've been, been enjoying what the Spurs or the Cowboys are doing. Or, wow, can you see what's happening in politics? You've got to get past all of that. And we love to put that up, don't we? Because that's a nice round bubble. And we can spin around in circles for hours on end on those things. And never get to the heart of the matter of really where we're at in our walk with the Lord. And being able to encourage each other and bolster one another in that. So we've got to understand that John is speaking here to the body of Christ and encouraging us. There must be a love for the body. And that love for the body is going to be, that love for the body is, is really closer than even a blood brother or sister. And it must be defined that way. We should seek strong relationships with one another. Strong relationships outside the context of, of uh, some sort of catastrophe or situation. So that when the difficult things come into our lives as the body, we can we have that relationship with which we can minister to one another in love. We have the gift of love. We have the group of love. And then John gives us the guard and goal of love. And this is in verse 2. The guard and goal of love. Look with me there. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Love for others is defined and constrained by love for God and obedience to his commands. R.C. Sproul Jr. says, 
We do not rightly love our maker if we do not love our neighbor. But we do not rightly love our neighbor if we do not love our maker. So here's the guard of our relationships with one another. The guard is, is our love for God. That's what sets the boundaries. That's what sets the parameters for our love for others. It's dictated by God alone and not by our feelings or our emotions or our desires. The parameters that God sets, does not, they do not move. They're set in stone. God's word alone sets these things. It's his commands in scripture that must define the way we love one another and what that love should look like. I've got six things quickly here that this love for God first, how that helps guard our love for others. Love for God first guards our love for others by not allowing us, let me rephrase this. This this love for God guards us from being unloving to others by, here's six things, not differentiating from the unborn and the born again. It's unloving to not differentiate between someone who is a believer and not a believer. To treat them all the same is unloving. Because you're allowing the unbeliever to walk into the pit of hell without desiring to see him come to Christ and see the work of Christ for him. It is unloving to play or allow sin in our own lives or sin in others' lives, meaning the body of Christ. Now, does that mean that, you can, that you're not going to ever sin? No, what I'm meaning here is habitual sin, sin that you can just see in another person. They're gossiping. They're struggling with anger. You know they're looking at things they should not be thinking about. They're not guarding their time well and their, their, their priorities are out of whack and Christ is taking a, a back seat. And yet we look at them, oh, well, I don't want to say too much because, you know, it might offend them. That's unloving. And then to realize that we cannot apply and allow sin in our own lives. To do so is unloving to the body. It is unloving to others if we proclaim a false Christ. Remember, John has just spent a lot of time pointing out that Christ came in the flesh. This is the work of God. He came, Son incarnate, God and man. And if we proclaim a false Christ or a false way to Christ, that's very unloving. It's unloving to communicate God's commandments as burdensome rather than freeing. We don't want to be legalistic. I don't want them to fall too far down that road. And so we proclaim them as burdensome rather than freeing. And yet we should be proclaiming, it is loving to say, follow scripture. Obey God. Do what he has commanded. Because that's where we are, set free. It is unloving to others when we communicate that love for others has no limitations or requirements. It is unloving to others to communicate that
that love for others has no limitation or requirements. To say, you know, I just, I just love everybody. Or hashtag love wins. We're not communicating that anybody's required to, to respond to us in love. But we are saying that true biblical love is going to go to them and say, what you're doing, your thing that you're doing, it's not right. We can't expect them to change. We can't change them. Only God changes them. But it is unloving to just assume that there's no limitation or requirements. It is unloving to others to not call sin, sin. To be wishy-washy with the language of sin. We've got to be very careful that we use biblical language. We don't try to skirt around a difficult issue simply because the language seems a little harsh. And so then we don't call sin, sin. We call it a difficulty. We call it a struggle. We call it something more than what it really is. It's sin. But what we've also got to understand is love is is very, because of this, love is very difficult. And if our goal alone is to love another person that's our only goal is just to love others then we find ourselves then we will find ourselves very depressed you'll find yourself discouraged you'll find yourself disheartened because either you're going to have a lack of them loving you in return or they're going to completely misunderstand your love and you just this isn't worth it and love is is really true biblical love is really much more messy than it is pretty confronting someone in their sin if you've ever done that before can be a bloodbath they don't necessarily always respond the right way they might actually say some mean words to you speaking the truth in love is a biblical principle but it's very difficult to know how to execute and to say that you're going to speak the truth in love without first a Gaining a relationship with that person where you can speak to them to the point that they understand, they know this person, even if I don't like what they're saying, wants the best, ultimately God's glory in my life, at least then you'll have a chance that they're going to receive you well. To try to do so without relationship, to try to speak the truth in love without relationship is, is not impossible. Much less on top of the fact that it's already difficult to execute. But, so, but God gave us a grace in this passage, verse 2. God knows that this is going to be difficult. He knows that it's going to be messy. He, Christ modeled it for us. So in his grace, he provides a much higher goal for our love. And the way to pursue that love. And that goal is being love for God. Because when you pursue a love for God because of his love for you, you never find yourself empty. You never find yourself going, man, I did this and there was just, there was nothing quite there. Boy, they aren't receiving this very well. But when you respond, what you're really doing is responding to God's perfect love for you, you find yourself always satisfied in that love that never has to be then filled by someone else who's not responding correctly. This is a, this is a huge grace of the Lord. And not only did he give us that goal of loving God, he provided a way to that by Christ, by the work of Christ, who loved us enough to restore a broken relationship because of sin on the cross for us. So we have a guard here 
if we love God, but we also have a goal there that's much higher than anything else. And that, that gives us much satisfaction and it gives us a way then to be able to, to love God in response to his love for us. So what we want to say biblically here is that love, model, true biblical love modeled by Christ and set forth by God in Holy Scripture is an action. Love is an action marked by sacrifice for the greater good of an individual, namely God's glory. Christ laid down his life for his bride. So husbands, we should very well know that we're going to have to sacrifice in our love for our wives. If we're going to love the lost for the glory of God, we're going to have to sacrifice. If we're going to love the body of Christ as he has commanded us in an action, we're going to have to sacrifice for the greater good of an individual, namely God's glory. So the greatest display of love is is not a hug. It's not loving the sinner, hating the sin. It's not unconditional acceptance. Now we, we see in John 15, 30, 15, 13, the greatest love more than any other is that someone lay down his life for his friends and Christ did that for us. I've even heard someone say that the greatest love that they've ever experienced is being able to grieve with another person. I've heard a, I've heard a, a self-proclaiming Christian say that. And that's blasphemy. The greatest love ever is the work of Christ laying down his life for us. There is no greater love than that. And we're called to mimic that. 1 John 4.10, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. True biblical love as defined by Christ, modeled by Christ and defined by God in Holy Scripture, is going to encourage people and push people to God to, to repent of sin, to obey Him, to love Him, to confess their sin, to guard their tongue, to guard their heart from idols. We're coming up to that here in just a little bit. First John five twenty one. Little children, keep yourself from idols. True biblical love is an action where we sacrifice for the greater good of another, namely God's glory. That's what true biblical lo- love looks like. It's defined according to Scripture. It's not whatever we want it to be. It's not whatever we feel like it should be. We have, in, by the grace of God, we do have, we have a standard for what this to, is to look like. We're not lost. And yet so often we're tempted to run from this because this This makes love difficult because it requires us to do something more than just a feeling. It requires for us to do something modeled by Christ. It's commanded by God. So oftentimes we don't want to go here, but as Christians, we must go here. Even more today in this world that is around us, we must go to this word and say, is my love for the body, my neighbor, my family, the unbeliever, my enemy? Is it defined by what's easy for me? Or am I modeling my love after what Christ has done and I'm going to scripture to define that love and how it should look? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage.
And Father, the, the application here for us is to be in your word and, and be in awe of your love for us and see that that love constrains us. It constrains us from doing what we want to do. It constrains us from doing what we want to do and gives us, by your grace, the ability to do the best, what we should want to do, that which we don't always want to do. Forgive us, Father, forgive me for not modeling my love to others the way I should at all times, for falling into what I would rather do for me, what feels right for me, what's in it for me. Oh, Father, I pray that we would, we would continually go to this, this book, this, this gift to us, your word, to define our relationships and how we're to love others. Father, I pray that you would give us a greater love for the body of Christ, for believers. I pray, Father, that the world might see that even in the, the messiness and at times the prickles, the pain at times of our relationships with one another, they would see the, these people are in it more than just for what's in it for them. They're, they're pursuing together in love for one another, a much higher purpose, a much higher goal. Oh, Father, I pray that we would we would walk out into this world this week and as we come in contact with all the people who will walk by, all the people we'll see, Father, you would give us a, a heart and a desire to minister to the, to, to the lost, to encourage the, the downtrodden, the, the faint of heart at times, to lift up the weary, to strengthen them, Father. It might be more than just I'll pray for you, but that will be marked by an action. It will be, we'll be willing to sacrifice even our lives if need be for a love for you first and a love for one another. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen.